Hi everyone, welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. This is Teresa Gonzalez, your host and founder of the Latinas B2B podcast. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast on all your podcast platforms. And please sign up and subscribe to our newsletter at latinasb2b.com. Today, my special guest is Ish Verdusco. He works as a diversity specialist, strategic partnerships lead at Snap. He's also been a big DJ for a lot of clubs here in the United States, but he just recently wrote a book called Get Ish Done. This vato has has been doing a lot for comunidad. He has been advocating for a lot of youth of color and how they can start their pathway into a career in tech. He is from UC Merced and has lived in South Central Los Angeles. So here we are. We're going to have an interview with Ish Verdusco and listen to him on how he got started into his pathway of tech. And he wrote his book, Get Ish Done. Well, welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. We're so happy to have you here. The last time we had our conversation, which was the end of May, uh, the, world, the world blew up back then. And yeah. it's been a complete 360, yeah. upside down. You know, we've gone into a different vortex of humanity. And I think it's been needed. And when we last spoke, we wanted to get to know you, and I still want our audience and folks out there to get to know our hermanos out there that we're working mm -hmm. together to collaborate in the space of technology and how we want to bring together community into these you know, spaces where we're not as represented. And being a diversity and inclusive person that is mm -hmm. in a very big platform, I mean, everybody uses snap the bitmojis all that yep. stuff you know our community is one of the highest users not just in facebook and influencing on instagram youtube we influence so much on these platforms and dni yeah. dni is diversity and inclusion department of space i want to say it's nested under hr correct yeah, it it's under under HR in most places. Sometimes mm -hmm. they report right to the CEO, depending on the company. Yep, yep. And so it has completely changed, I think, the script of how people are going to be recruiting and hiring moving forward. And you are in a place of power. But not only that, we're also going to talk about your book that you just put out, Get Ish Done, right? Yep. Which is available exactly. on Amazon, correct? Exactly, yeah. Yep. And everyone can check that out for, you know, tips that I want to say Mr. Ish. But, That's fine. But Ish uh, has put out for community out there, but for everybody in general. So let's get to it. I'm going to start off here. And I want us to give a platform of where you came from and how you were brought up by Latinas. Very strong, fuerte women, your mom, your Nina, your grandmother. And they have told you, and you open up with this in your book, that you have said in the statements that you write in LinkedIn that you work with your mind so that you don't need to work with your hands like yeah. I did. And I have to say, with other guests on my podcast, their abuelitas have put that foundation down as well. 
because they know the struggle. They know how hard it is, right? So the women in your family definitely knew that higher education and your grandmother was very much instilling that into you, right? The determination. Mm-hmm. That mijo, a super young age. Yep, mijo, you need to get that education, especially here. And I'm going to say this too, is that education here in America, which a lot of people don't understand, only first generation, I want to say, a lot of first generation immigrants here know that the education here in America is a privilege. And a mm-hmm. lot of people take that for granted, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. So give me your perspective on that, on your education and your Abuelita and your Ninas and your Thea's and your mom, you know? Yeah, yeah. great question. Mm-hmm. So um, for the listeners out there, like she mentioned, my name is Ish. I was born and raised throughout Southern California. I moved a ton growing up everywhere from like East LA to South LA to Pomona to Southgate to Riverside, Ontario, everywhere. Moved around a ton. I actually went to school at UC Merced, which is a really small school in the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of, ton of Latinos that go to that school, which is really awesome. It's a really diverse school to begin with. But back to the question, education was always instilled in me since I was a kid, even though I wasn't necessarily good at school. I honestly struggled in a lot of my classes, except for like math, maybe like sciences, world histories and writing, especially I I hated writing above all. Mm. But I learned from my grandmas and my parents that your abuelitas. My abuelitas, education was the only way, pretty mm. much. You know, if you wanted to to become somebody and not have to work as hard with your hands, like you mentioned, or have to work super long hours and be constantly tired, then you had to go to school and make something of yourself. So, and not to say that working with your hands is a bad thing, because no, not at all, not at all. Yeah. But it's because you can be, uh, you know, in construction and a foreman, and if you have that extra math behind you. You really Mm -hmm. excel, right? So we're not saying that working with your hands is less than. It is very much a well-respected. And I think it's applicable to give some context. So my abuelita went to to school at second grade. Mm. So she's somebody who wished she could have gone and went to school a lot more than she did. Instead of going to third grade, she was already working to help support the family. So she wanted me not to go through that experience. Mm -hmm. Like you said, school was a privilege. Being able to go to school and get my education was a privilege for me. So I didn't take it for granted. And even though I wasn't great at it, I appreciated it and I appreciated learning. It was definitely extremely difficult. And I think part of that is because I learned Spanish and English at the same time Mm. growing up because Mm -hmm. my abuelitas were always around. My mom had me at a very young age at 19. Um, It was a communal thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like it takes a village to raise a kid. And then when you have a kid that young, it's even more of a village. So learning English and Spanish at the same time, and I'm sure listeners out there who are who are tuning in can relate. When you start to learn, when mm-hmm. you start you start to learn English, then you're like, wait a minute, I'm I'm saying things in Spanish, but they're they're actually in English, and you start flipping words and flipping adjectives and everything. So I, I struggled a little bit in school, but definitely grateful for my family and for the foundation that they built for me. And everything that I've learned from them, you know, whether it was educational or just like life lessons, how to work hard how to treat people with respect and and everything in between. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, a lot of Latino men out there, just men in general, I'm going to say, but mostly men of color, they have it extremely hard because especially you coming from, you know, a matriarchal family and Mm -hmm. I come from a matriarchal family. And I want to say based on everything that's happened, you know, the systemic racial meltdown that we've had and the opening has been a big awakening for, I don't want to say just women of color, but men of color, because 
being vulnerable in this society is so hard to grasp, especially in the black and brown communities and to be united. And I've said this in a previous podcast, women too, we hold you up to a higher standard sometimes. Mm -hmm. Don't be a crybaby. You know, it's like we want you to be tough, but at the same time, we want you to know that it's okay to be vulnerable. And I think a lot of men don't hear that or that. Especially they... in the Latino community, there's like oh, a lot of machismo gosh. too. It's like, oh, tough enough. The boys do this. The guys do this. Yeah. You got to go out there and cut the grass and wash the cars. And Yeah, don't be a mamado. No mamado, yeah, right? Like, don't be exactly. a mamado, like, which is a mama's so... boy out there. <laughs> if you don't know what mamado means. <laughs> right? But all that stuff doesn't help, you know? It, it doesn't help the stereotypes. And when you grow up with that culture, then... You're taught that you can't show your emotions or you can't be as empathetic with the way that you treat other people. So, yeah, I've said in the past, it's okay. I personally think that more of us need to say it's okay to Mm -hmm. cry. And that's the hardest thing is to cry. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us have been weeping in these last few weeks. I want to say it's a relief, but it's also because everybody's been feeling that grief. And I think for men, it's like, yes, we're going to step up. But at the same time, it's okay that you don't need to be strong. And if you just want to have a meltdown yourself, it's completely fine. And I think a lot of people need to recognize that we stay strong. We code switch. We do so many things to survive and to be accepted into these spaces that people don't realize the amount of emotion it's pent up in us, mm-hmm. especially it just in the, builds and builds. It builds and it builds. And I feel that now it's kind of saying, okay, you know, let it out now yep. and let's move forward. You know, you're bringing up the matriarchal push in your family towards you and probably not having that ability to express yourself, you know, with your dad or. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point to bring up. So for the listeners out there, my dad passed away when I was 12, about to turn 13. Grateful for all the time that I had him. But like you mentioned, it was a really confusing time. You know, you're becoming a man. You're going through all these changes. Your body's going through changes. You're going into high school. But I think I'm more than anything grateful for the foundation that my abuelitas and my mom built and as well as my dad, but more than anything for my mom and my abuelita is like they, they built me to be a strong person, you know, mm-hmm. and I went off to, to graduate high school and do really well with honors and go to college. So I tell people this all the time and it sounds crazy, but losing my dad made me extremely strong and also taught me more about myself. And it gave me like an awakening, you know, mm-hmm. when you lose somebody that close to you at such a young age you're forced with the reality that the world does not revolve around you and you can die at any moment, you know, like Mm -hmm. life isn't granted. Right. So these are like really, really, really tough lessons that I learned at a really young age. And I'm grateful for the lessons because from that point on, I treated every single day of my life as if it were my last. I worked extremely hard in everything that I did. I only worked on things that I was passionate about. I tried to be extremely kind with anybody that I come across. And it's all because I realized that that really strange time in my life that, hey, tomorrow's never granted. So why not make the most out of today? Hmm. And that, that, that can only be possible with the foundation that I had from the women in my life, you know. Oh, that's wonderful. So this is really hard in the Latinx community is we are influenced by a lot of things that can really just sway us Mm -hmm. immediately. I think because you've shared it already, one of them is 
getting pregnant young, right? It's mm -hmm. on the responsibility of both people. And that's a beautiful thing that can happen, but there's all these things that come with it. And my thought is when you're that young and there's so many things that influence you, gang violence down in South Central LA, gangs here in the Bay Area in California, just in, you know, all in the South. Oh. Especially when you lose your dad. And I know this too because my husband works in middle school and disenfranchised communities. It's mm -hmm. so easy for them to turn. Yeah, that's that's actually really funny because I I was talking to my abuelita recently. We were having this conversation about when my dad passed away because we had a family member that recently passed away. And she said, you know, like when your dad passed away, I got really worried for you. I was praying every single night and we wanted to take care of you and make sure you were okay because your exact point, you know, it's like, it's very easy to go the other way. Yes. It's almost like it's two routes. It goes really good or it goes really bad. In yes. most cases, not tying it back to the book too much, but when I studied these successful people, it was like one turning moment in their life that was extremely bad. And they always say, it could have turned even worse, but I flipped it and made it into something that made me stronger. Yeah, I could have went down that route and just been a bad kid and turned up, not graduated from high school and joining gangs or whatever down that route. Yeah, drugs, whatever. Because when you're in that much pain or you lose your family member, especially you know, your dad and the male figures in your life, you kind of get lost, but you had a really strong support system there. And that's, yeah. that's awesome. So a lot of folks out there don't have that. They really don't. So that's why I wanted to hear your story because you went to UC Merced. And by the way, UC Merced is a great school. And I want you to awesome talk, school. I want you to talk a little bit about that because, you know, here's a stat. UC Merced has been the only UC college built in California since 1983, I want to say. The only college. So there hadn't been a college built and the population in California is growing. But there has been something of like 23 prisons that have been Whoa. built since 1983 and there's an art exhibit that has one you see with a college graduate and then you see how many prisons have been built so you see one graduate uc college being built in california how many prisons have been invested and built in california wow. and only one college and the population wow. of latinos is more than 50 percent in california so just everybody out there just noodle on that for a minute and this is men this isn't including women this is mm -hmm. just men yeah for the listeners out there i mean if you if you're thinking about going to college or you have a niece or nephew or somebody who's thinking about going to college definitely have them look into uc merced i could not recommend the school enough it is extremely diverse. I want to say that they have for sure the most Latinos in the entire UC system. Mm -hmm. Not only that, it's it's a new school. So it still has that fresh vibe where you can go and be somebody. You can build your community. It is a little bit further out in the middle of nowhere. So there's nothing to do but school. It's not like a ton of people do that commute. Mm -hmm. It's like a commuter school. The organizations, the faculty, the staff, everything about the school is amazing. And I enjoyed all of my time there. I was extremely involved. And I don't think that I would be anywhere near where I am if I didn't go there. You know, mm -hmm. there were some of the opportunities that I that I got there, I couldn't have gotten at UC Berkeley or UCLA just because of the size alone mm -hmm. um, and the attention that I got as a student, as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. So check out the school. It's, it's a beautiful school. It's an amazing school. And if anybody goes there, you would love it. Yeah. And just to bring up your degree at UC Merced, mm -hmm. you are in a position that influences a lot of the recruiting 
in tech, which is, again, a big deal these days, hiring more people of color. And you didn't go to Berkeley. You didn't go to Stanford. You didn't go to Brown, Northwest. You know, I could go on and on and on because when I was at tech, those were a lot of the degrees that you saw getting hired, right? Yeah. And it's intimidating. And you think, oh, and if you get that degree at that big university, go for it. But we're just saying you can get there. And UC Merced is an opportunity. And Michelle Obama inaugurated that school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, like, like you mentioned, you don't have to go to the big top school in the world in order to work at your dream company. And like you said, it, it was extremely intimidating for me, too, when I first started working in tech at LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, when I realized that I could hang with everybody else, it's like, hey, you know, I can... I can hang with you guys too. Like I can do the work. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I'm hardworking. There's mm-hmm. no reason why like I should think of myself as less than just because of my degree or where I went to school or the prestigiousness of the school, you know? Right. It's imposter syndrome. And we all it know is. that. I face it every day and I, and I, I fight it every day too. <laughs> it's a big deal. And, you know, I still go through it, but a lot of people don't understand that this is a mindset that happens from and this is a big topic these days you know with all the riots is the institutional systemic racism of what's influencing you in your environment that makes you think that you're inferior but Mm -hmm. you're not and just listening to you about how you love science and math that is the one area that we are lacking in technology biopharma And this is why I have a lot of folks in my podcast, because we need to see more representation because you are smart. It's just that we've never seen enough people like us to show us in those areas that we are. I was just going to say that. That we are smart, right? And it's almost like a lack of knowledge. Like you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know what math and science could be for you, because you haven't seen anybody who looks like you or comes from the background as you do, who likes math and science and now does X or does Y as a professional, then it, you you can't relate. So it's, it's that lack of knowledge, it's that lack of relatability. So we, we do need more representation because it inspires younger generations. It piques their interest. If they, they say, hey, that guy looks like me, talks like me. He works at this cool company, which I love that company. Well, what, what is it that I could align what I'm good at so that I can go to college and then land a job there. Right. And you bring up a great question I'm going to segue into. Awesome. I want to hear your story about why you went into technology and why you became a DNI diversity and inclusion partner, right? Is that what yeah. you're okay? Yeah. DNI professional. Um so I wanted to get into technology as an industry and specifically within technology, my thing has always been companies at scale. So when you go back to like high school and, and just me like reflecting, uh, I always, always attracted to like Twitter and MySpace because it was cool to connect with people at scale. Mm-hmm. So then when I went to college, then Snapchat was a thing. So I was like, wow, that's so cool. You can communicate and connect with people at scale globally. And then it was like my senior year of college, it was like LinkedIn, like this platform is amazing. You can share content at scale. You can connect with people at scale. Um, So I've always been attracted to that within technology. When I worked at LinkedIn, I did recruiting events and I did employer branding. So it's like showing the world what it's like to work at the company and how amazing it is and why people should want to work there. And my last role at LinkedIn was doing social media marketing to HR professionals, diversity professionals, recruiting professionals. Mm. That was my audience. So it kind of like, it's like a weave. 
each experience that I've had weaves into the next one. Mm-hmm. It's like s- subtly. So then, then it looks like I made this big jump to diversity and inclusion, which to me, it wasn't really that big of a jump because I've always been passionate about the work and I've always done it to some capacity. It just wasn't my day job. Mm-hmm. And I've always been somebody to believe that you don't have to have a title for something to be your day job, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to do it on the side on tangible projects mm-hmm. and be able to make like tangible impact. Right. So during my time at LinkedIn, I would always volunteer for like Europe, which is a great organization that works with 18 to 24 year old professionals that don't necessarily have a college degree or maybe they're going to a community college. And a lot of them are black and brown young young adults as well. So I'm sorry, what's it called? Europe. Europe. Okay. Yeah, it's a really cool organization. Um, definitely check it out. And so I've always done these things on the side and I was always passionate about the diversity and inclusion work. And I think it stems from being somebody from an underrepresented group in tech. Like once you experience that, it's almost like you have to be passionate about it because you experience it on a daily basis. Right. So it's, I was always thinking through like, how can I make other people feel more included? How can I mentor people? How can I share my experience, whether it's online or in person or doing events and Mm -hmm. working on programs? So when this role opened up, the timing was perfect because I had spent five years in San Francisco and my goal was to do five years in San Francisco and then move back to LA because all of my family was in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I didn't have one one Thea or Theo or cousin or anybody in, in the SF, mm-hmm. just friends. Right. And you know, like family is such a big part of our culture. So it, you it was, it was enough comida. for me. You miss the comida, come on. You know you miss the comida <laughs> of your, you know. Abuel- I, I miss your- everything. The carne asadas, I miss everything. The tacos, so, it's like, yeah. The menudo, all that. <laughs> okay, I know, but, I know. <laughs> so I looked out. I looked out. The role was a perfect role. It was one of my dream companies. It was on my list. Um, it was in LA and I applied for it. Luckily, got the role, even though like my experience might not have been like in the diversity and inclusion space. And now that's what I do at Snap. So I work within HR, diversity and inclusion, mostly spending my time on diversity recruiting initiatives, how we interact and engage with these underrepresented groups, as well as like, how do we help people feel like they can be themselves at Snap, whether they come from different backgrounds or not, Right. Um, whether it's the majority or the minority, and what initiatives do we have to, to help people share their story or feel like they can truly bring them their entire selves to right. work. Yeah. Because it's time to stop code switching, right? It's time yeah. to be yourself because we've been doing that for a long time. And, yep. you know, there's professionalism, but there's just a way sometimes that there's an expectation. And these are the older tech companies. The newer ones are more flexible. They want you mm-hmm. to be your you know, your genuine self, bring your experiences. They want that. But when you voice them and you talk about that, well, that's another story because I've been on those teams and I've done that. And it's like, hmm, (laughs) it's almost like you have to become invisible sometimes. But, you know, I digress. But my point to you is when you are in that position to say, hey, this is a cool company, bring your authentic self, be who you are, Come and join our company. Are you in a position to educate the higher management? Senior leaders. And senior leaders to say, hey, and how do you go about that? Because, you know, the big talk right now since the riots is it's not our job, right? To educate you in a one hour, you know, weekly meeting even though you're super busy, mm-hmm. but still at the end of the day, you're signing the budgets, you know, they're signing the budgets on who can get hired at what pay scale, what teams can hire and how they're, you know, needed, right? Yep. And, you know, who needs what on what teams. 
And I think the idea and the mindset for seniors, and this is just my take because I've been there, is mm. that if they knew more about our cultures, they could see so many opportunities to really drive their products mm-hmm. like exponentially, right? To bring more people yeah. of color onto their product teams, their marketing teams. I mean, obviously you kind of straddle both, but I- I'm just bringing this question up to you because yeah, it looks question. like you're doing a lot of education, but are you doing that more or less or what's the new agenda going forward since the riots? If you can share. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's more and I and I think what's most effective is when you bring in statistics and the hard facts, mix that with personal story. And I have a bunch of friends who do D&I work at many different companies and that seemed to work so far. Mm-hmm. And it's it seemed to work in a way that hasn't worked in the past because people are listening differently than they were in the past. I feel like for a while diversity and inclusion was like an additional strategy that you add on to your business strategy whereas now it's it feels like companies are are ingraining diversity and inclusion into different aspects of their companies not just hiring and recruitment mm-hmm. and i think a big part of that has to do with the fact that people can't ignore what's happening in the media or what's happening in the world what's happening in tech what's happening i'm working in it day to day and people see hope and it has to do with the fact that for once in history these issues that people have been complaining about and saying that they've been happening for a really long time have finally been recorded and been shown to a level where you can't ignore them. Right. Like the majority in the United States of America can no longer ignore them because they turn on the TV, it's there. They right. turn on the news, it's there. The radio, it's there. They go on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, Facebook, it's there. Right. It's happening in their companies, it's happening everywhere around them. Whereas in the past, the media has maybe chose not to to cover them, to provide the visibility that they deserved. Whereas now it's complete 180. Yep. And people are genuinely more interested to learn about not only what are the issues, the systemic issues that are happening or that have happened, but also what are the experiences that their colleagues or their friends and people in their network have gone through and are going through because they are people of color, because they are black in America or whatever their situation is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like uh, the United States is becoming woke is being forced to be woke. <laughs> yeah. They're all forced to be woke bays now. <laughs> yep. You put a lockdown on yourself to get something done that get ish done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you felt very passionate about why yeah. did you decide to write the book and to really move in that direction and just shut everything out? Like what gave you that focus? Mm-hmm. And what was that pivot moment where you said, I need to write this book and to, you know, get it out there? Great question. Um, and out of all the podcasts I've done, this is probably one of the audiences that that will appreciate the book and the audience the most. So um, as I mentioned, you all know my story now, everybody that's listening. I recently went down this learning path voluntarily. So growing up, like I mentioned, school was never my strength. I, I didn't really like a lot of my classes, but I had to get good grades and I felt like I should do well because my grandparents and my mom struggled so much, but I I was never like great at school. And so like a few years ago, I read a book called Smart Cuts and I realized I really liked learning and I actually liked reading. I just didn't like school subjects because I was being forced to take them and and learn about them and I didn't have interest in them. Mm -hmm. So I I read this book called Smart Cuts. And then after that book, I went down like a learning rampage of Mm -hmm. just 
what can I learn? And it was a lot of self-development, a lot of like building myself in different areas. Mm-hmm. And after a few years of doing that, it, like maybe 10 months ago, nine months ago, I was driving down the five freeway to see my sister in San Diego. We were going to have like a lunch date and I was listening to Thinking Grow Rich, a book by Napoleon Hill, I think mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in the book, something spoke to me. It was like an internal voice that said, you're being selfish for not sharing everything that you've learned with your people, with your community. Mm. And then I started thinking about that, like, why am I, why is this thought coming to me? You know, and I started to noodle on it more and more. And I was like, see, there's that tickle in your tissues, right? Like, hey, 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 hey. It was really weird. And I started to think about, I'm like, (laughs) I've been extremely grateful that I've had the resources. I've been able to work in tech. I've been able to be exposed to so many things Mm -hmm. that I've learned from experiences, Mm -hmm. books, podcasts, people, events, all this stuff that I've learned a tremendous amount of and my experience has been so unique when we talk about the experience of Latinos in tech there's not that many of us nope so to know somebody that works at a LinkedIn or a Snapchat or a Twitter or Facebook the chances are even more slim so I started thinking like wow I've learned so much I need to share this with people with mm-hmm. my people with mm-hmm. Latinos with black people with Asian whatever the underrepresented group is mm-hmm. you know we all have that common experience. Right. So then I started thinking through like, shit, well, I have a bad writer. I can't write for crap. So I'm not writing a book. I started thinking through, maybe I'll do a YouTube series. And I'm like, oh, I'm not that charismatic on video. Oh, and I started thinking, on. maybe I'll do like a blog series. And I was like, uh, I can't think of one blog that I've read in my life that I thought was so impactful that I like felt I needed to reread it multiple times and I like, implemented that strategy into my life. Mm. So then I like, I was forced to come back to the book. I was like, I need to write the book. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so the entire drive for the book and why I did it and how I stayed so concentrated and motivated throughout the entire time, even when times where I broke down completely because I felt like I was way over my head, but my driving force was the audience. And mm. somebody recently asked me when I finished the book and I was posting on LinkedIn, promoting it, mm-hmm. somebody asked me like, hey, great book and great context and everything and it sounds great. But what makes your book different from the thousands of other self-help books in the world? Ooh. Yeah. And I was like, that's actually a great question. So he made me, they made me think. It just put me on the spot right now. (laughs) In public too. (laughs) So after thinking about it, I was like, well, what has been the driving force? What, what has made this book different? And I was like, well, the examples, I, the examples, the language, the references that I make, I read 45 self-development books in 2019. When I think about all those books, how many? 45. In 2019 alone? In 2019 alone. (laughs) So when I think about all those books, I'm like, there was something missing in all of them. And it was like a cultural tie. Yeah. You know, you know, when you read a really good book and you're Mm -hmm. like, this is amazing content, Mm -hmm. but like, I wish they would have given me some flavor, something Mm -hmm. that I could relate to. Some tahini in in there? Exactly. You know, (laughs) my book, I give examples with people we can all relate to. Like Mm -hmm. I mentioned like Selena, I mentioned Michelle Obama, I mentioned like, like Nipsey Hussle, like people that we would recognize and mm. you know, oh, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. And I also yeah, include like yeah. a wide a wide range of people that I that I studied, but I wanted to be sure that the audience could relate to the stuff that I was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that no, was really important to me. Making the connection, making it purposeful so that it resonates with the younger generation, right? Yeah. Because that's what they see. That's what they know. You know, they would consider me probably like a Chicanosaurus. You know, I'm so old school. <laughs> no, not at I'm all. I'm just throwing that loosely out there. But, <laughs> but there's so much to make connection to us. And I think companies need that relational experience. And you're that bridge. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of, I want to say, community and people of color are making that bridge but it can't be just our 
20 hours of preaching when you need to do the work yourself. And that's what's being said now. It's like, you also have to do the work. It's not just up to me. Like, yeah, I could give you bullet points all day long and show videos and do this and that. But if you're not doing the work Mm -hmm. on your own, reading a book, understanding what it means, putting, you know, really having that empathy, I find it really hard that it will change. But now I feel like the world is woke. I mean, Poland, Poland was, you know, rioting, you know, about these things. You're like, Poland, right? And (laughs) the world is watching us. And when we are in positions where we can change things, where I feel a lot of us have that Mm -hmm. opportunity, we can do that. And um, we can make a big impact and quit putting these fluffy messages out there. One of my big idols, not just because I'm a sports fan, and I'm a mild sports fan, and I do say mild, but Colin Kaepernick, I'm inviting you to come on my podcast. I have been talking about (laughs) you for years. And he was a pivot moment for me because, you know, now everybody respects him and everybody is saying, wow, you know, and that's what you do. And when I left tech, that's why I left tech because I saw what he did. He stood for something. And for me, it was to say, we are not being represented in tech. We are not giving opportunities to be up in the C-suite or leadership roles. We are not given an opportunity to be on product teams to make an influence of our community, which are the highest users on these social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And then just the inequities of teams and contract workers. And I talk about this all the time because Google has over 50% of their workforce is contract workers. And, you know, the wealth gap, it's all very important, people. So you are just in this awesome position with your book, which, you know, get Ish done on Amazon. You can read his book, but also we need more role models and especially more Latino men in other areas of being on boards and reaching back into education. And I yeah. think you're in a in a wonderful position. So saying that, and all the ladies and young men out there that are listening, I, I look at my analytics and there's some dudes out there that are listening. I don't know who you are, but we are speaking to you, but mostly it is just for everybody. But what yeah. would you say to the new generation, which is Gen Z or is it Gen Y now? I, I forget. Gen Z. Gen Z. Okay. What advice do you have for them? Because right now, this is their moment. Mm-hmm. They are seeing so much with this epidemic, this global pandemic, the riots. I mean, this is their civil uprising right now. Mm-hmm. And we got to stay focused. That's my message. But what's yep. your message? I'm extremely proud of this generation because they've made their message heard. I think my advice to them would be learn as much as they can about themselves individually as individual people. Learn about their strengths, learn about their weaknesses. We are in a really interesting time where for the most part, we're on lockdown in many parts of the country. And I think we're going to go back into lockdown because of these coronavirus. So during this time, yes, have your message heard, stand up for what is right, but also take some time to like reflect and understand who you are. What do you want to do? What do you like to do in the near future, in the longer term timeframe? What do you enjoy doing and why? Break apart those pieces 
if I would have done that exercise, and that's essentially what chapter one of the book is, is understanding who you are, mm-hmm. your present self, your past self, and your future self. But how do you know when you're 18 years old? Do you know? <laughs> you, you can. Do yeah, you? you can know. There's a ton of exercises that you can do. If you're 18 years old, literally look at yourself as if it was a science experiment. Look at the things that you've naturally been drawn to. Mm-hmm. Since you start walking, there are things that you're naturally drawn to, whether it's music or whether it's selling or whether it's creating things, interview people, whether that's your family, your mom, your grandparents. I did this exercise and I found it so helpful. Interview your friends and have them tell you things about you because sometimes we're so blind to it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And by asking your mom or your dad or your uncle or your cousin or your friend or your grandma, whoever it is, questions that they can tell you about you that you don't know. And I think doing that exercise at a younger age, whether it's 18 or 20 or 16, is extremely valuable because it gives you a certain amount of clarity that any professional wish that they would have had when they were younger. Especially when this day and age, when there's so much in the media that is pushing us to become a doctor, become this, become that. And sometimes we end up doing things that we don't even love, Mm -hmm. but we end up doing them because we feel like it's the right thing to do or we feel that society tells us that we should. But by looking within and understanding who you are, and understanding your strengths, your weaknesses, why you like things, all that entire exercise, you're able to realize opportunities that are best for you when they come up. And you don't know always when they're going to come up, but when they do, you would have done that exercise and see, hey, that is really aligned with that one thing that I've done throughout my entire life for mm-hmm. this one aspect about myself. Maybe I should try it out or maybe I should ask somebody. Maybe I should have a phone call with that person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then those lead to opportunities down the line. And then and you have a career, then you have a new business or a side project that you're very passionate about. Yep. I also think, if I can throw this in here, my yeah, of two course. cents is that knowing a lot about your history, because a lot of oh, ed- I agree. educational I agree institutions are eradicating our history. And it is our duty to ask for our history in these institutions. And they are writing us out of history. And it is so important because as we've heard now, this country is floating, literally existing on brown and black folks being essential workers in this economy. So I want to wrap it up here with you, Ish. And I want to ask you one last question. What is your long-term goal? What is it that you've done quite a bit already, but what is the long-term goal for you? Damn, that's a really good question. I don't sure, I'm not sure if anybody's asked me that in a really long time too. Um, I'll give you my five year and then I'll give you what I aspire to do because I think after five years, it's really difficult. To, okay, to this look. is evergreen content. So you can come back and check it anytime. Yeah, I, I love it. Okay, so, so in the next five years, I aspire to influence a million people Whoa. and my focus is going to be a million people of color. Nice. So obviously, obviously like, Anybody else that falls within the million people that I help them, whether that's achieve their goals or learn more about themselves or just learn things that make them better versions of themselves. But that's what my goal is. So if you know who Tim Ferriss is or the people that are in like the self-help and e-learning space, like mm-hmm. Tom Bilyeu, the Gary V's of the world, these guys that are like hustling, but they're also like creating content, books, podcasts and all that stuff. So yeah, Gary in the next V's five little, years, he's nutty. He's a nutty guy. Yeah, he, he's a little, he's a little cray cray, but uh <laughs> And the reason why is because I think it goes back to the entire conversation we just had. We need representation at that level. If there are people that are that influential Mm -hmm. and they're younger, there's younger generations that are looking up to these people. We need, we need them to have the cultural background or to be able to relate 
because then you can inspire and you can get to people in a way that you you couldn't otherwise. You know, if somebody speaks like me or talks like me or uses lingo or comes from a background that I could relate to, I'm probably going to listen to them a lot more closely and attentively than if they had a silver spoon in their entire life and they grew up in a really nice neighborhood and went to great schools and didn't have to pay for college and went to Harvard and this and that, you know. Nothing yeah. against those people, but I'm just saying we need some more representation at that level of influence right. to be able to speak up for underrepresented groups. But in terms of my career, I don't know where that's going to head. I have a little bit of a plan built out, but that's kind of like the overarching goal. So I want to be able to impact people at scale. And it goes back to the the whole reason why I'm in tech, you know, I like doing things at scale and being able to use different things that I've learned in tech, whether that's diversity and inclusion, social media marketing, recruitment, helping people find jobs, sharing content, helping people become better professionals, personal branding, Mm e-learning, goal achieving. These are all topics and things that I'm very passionate about. Nice. Well, I think that's a wonderful and awesome goal for Comunidad. And let's just say, I think there's what, across the U.S., there's 60 million of us. So one million. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) It could be done. It can be done globally. If you... you yeah, if you can either. get a million, you can get all 60 million. That's the way I think of it as. Yeah. You just need to start with 100 passionate people who believe in your story and believe in your mission. Then it turns into 1,000, 1,000, turns into 100,000, 100,000, turns into a million. And next thing you know, everybody knows and everybody is inspired and motivated for the same reasons. You know, just got to stay true to yourself and everything else will follow. Exactly. Put in the work. Yeah, put in the work. And that's nothing comes easy without that work. So where can people find you? Um, so if they want to maybe ask your advice or to... Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my social channels is just Ish Verduzco. So it's I-S-H-V-E-R-D-U-Z-C-O. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the book is on Amazon. Just get Ish done. Yeah, the, the book is, is for anybody and everybody, but I wrote it with people from underrepresented groups top of mind. Mm-hmm. It's a framework to help people achieve their goals. So... Whether nice. you want to become an astronaut or whether you want to lose weight, whether you want to become a bodybuilder, whether you want to start a business, whether you want to become a famous DJ, whatever you want to do, <laughs> this framework is going to work for you. Hey, being a DJ, you know, you can make a lot of money. So yeah, and yeah. it's fun. Yeah, and it's fun. I've been there. Oh, that we don't want to talk hey. about that. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, like I said, I'm a Chicanosaurus. So, you know, those are old days. <laughs> Well, thank you, Ish, for joining me on Latinas from the block to the boardroom. We will definitely look for you on social media, but also on LinkedIn, where people can find you as well if they have some career questions for you. Because, you know, as we both recognize, there's so few of us and the doors need to be bigger for us to move in because we're out there. And I, you know, I know we're out there. So Mm -hmm. keep going, everybody. Stay safe. And please, please, please hug yourself and know that you're valuable out there in the world. So thanks, Ish, for joining me. I'm very excited. And we look forward to maybe reconnecting and hearing how uh, things are going. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And everybody out there that's listening, let's connect. I'm happy to answer any questions. Cool. Thank you. 
Thank you, everybody, for joining me with Latinas from the block to the boardroom. As always, please subscribe to our podcast on all your podcast platforms. The more we subscribe, the more we're visible in this podcasting movement and community. And also go to latinasb2b.com for more podcasts and also sign up for our newsletter where you can hear about the businesses I am partnering with and also where we can highlight our up coming guests. Thanks again. Stay safe out there in COVID-19. We still have to stay safe and strong. Gracias.